Dr. Nicholas still going on about our materialism because we have to be shown in plain, uncertain terms over and over and over again what materialist we are. We, those of us here, imagine ourselves so spiritual. <laughs> but the truth is, we're not. So we'll continue where we left off. The natural man of the 18th century writers and the carnal mind of sensual man of the ancient writers is the outward turned sense-bound and sense-minded man. So now we would call that man the false personality. But we all have this natural man as a particular part of our being. Today, this side of human psychology is intensified by the marvels of science, whose general standpoint has reached the masses. I think this is more true now in our time than it was in his time his head would probably spin around on its neck doing a 360 to see our world today. And people walking around plugged in with their iPhones and MP3 players and their iPods and all the rest of it. And people you go almost anywhere and there are people on computers wirelessly connected to the Internet. So the whole thing is just so far beyond what he saw in his time that he'd really be interested to see this, well, maybe not. He says, intellectually, we appear to have only what Paul called the mind of the flesh. And even if we vaguely believe in realities higher than those that we can contact with our senses, the natural man in us haunts us with the idea that such higher realities, if they exist at all, will eventually be proved by some grand scientific demonstration or finally dismissed. And this is so true of us. We look to science to verify everything. If someone says, well, I believe in God, well, then I heard people say, well, we've sent spaceships up there and they haven't found any heaven, they haven't found any God, so it's all a bunch of balderdash. Well, yeah, if you think that God is hovering over the earth in some place called heaven that you can puncture with a spaceship or a missile or something, yes, but I don't believe in that God either who's sitting somewhere in some heaven with a long white beard and white robes and on some throne with a bunch of angels flying around him, telling him how wonderful he is all the time, playing harps. So I don't blame them for not believing in that God. I don't either. But that's neither here nor there. Well, maybe it is. He says, but can we suppose that any demonstration of higher realities, I mean one that could somehow appeal to the senses, could ever take us off the sensual level of understanding? So let's say that we did discover something that proved something that we believe. Would that really get us off the level of the senses? No, it would really reinforce it, wouldn't it? It would just make us even more dependent upon the senses, because then we'd want to prove everything with the senses, which is pretty much what we want to do now. Nothing can be demonstrated to the senses. No scientific discovery of any sort, no demonstration that can be proved to us, will ever lift us from that level of understanding. If you're stuck in the sense-based mind, nothing that comes from the sense-based mind is going to prove anything other than the sense-based mind. It just cannot happen. Why is this so? Perhaps we have never really considered the question. If there be potential degrees of higher reality within us, Nothing coming from the side of the senses will alone open them. If there are angels, if there is a God, if there are spiritual beings, nothing from the senses alone is going to open them up to us because they are not 
to be apprehended with the senses. We do not understand this easily. Yet, is it not obvious that man himself is not changed by discoveries and phenomena? So, we've discovered the computer, we've discovered intercontinental ballistic missiles, we discovered nuclear warheads, we've discovered atomic bombs, neutron bombs, we've discovered, 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 and has it changed our understanding of anything except how to destroy? Has it changed our understanding of anything to have electricity and to have wireless internet? And to have? No, it has not. No phenomena or no phenomenon have changed our understanding. No matter how far we investigate the minute side of the phenomenal world, we will never escape from materialism, however subtly it may be presented. We can never prove, discover, or realize mind through sense. Your mind cannot be apprehended through the senses. And the only thing that I've seen science do with this is to say, well, your mind is your brain. So they discover the brain and they discover to do how to do brain surgery and how to poke here and, and make you see this and poke there and make your left hand move and poke over here and make you smell something. But they haven't discovered the mind. They have discovered the brain. An extraordinary discovery such as that of wireless telegraphy, now you can see how old this is, does not change us in ourselves in the slightest degree. So let's take extraordinary discoveries like wireless communications on the Internet. Let's take extraordinary discoveries as sending a man to the moon. Let's take extraordinary discoveries as on and on and on and on and on. All the extraordinary discoveries that the world, mankind, has discovered since he wrote this book. We merely get used to it and expect more. Now look at the kids today. They can text while they're driving. <laughs> you know, they pull out their phones and they text, text, text with both thumbs as fast as people can type, and they have their own language now. It's all shorthand and abbreviated. So, of course, the English language is a living language, so it will be altered. It will change. TNX will be thanks next. LOL is now part of the nomenclature, part of the vocabulary today. So it does not change anything. We just expect more. We expect that in 10 years, there'll be even more. That in 20 years, there'll be even more. Can you imagine what we'll be like in 50 years? So we expect more and more and more and more and more. We don't, in ourselves, change in the slightest degree. The quality of our consciousness undergoes not the slightest change. A sense of the miraculous does not leaven it. In fact, the contrary happens. We become more blind, more bored, more sure. What do kids have today if you take away their video games? They don't know what to do with themselves. You know, that's punishment now. Okay, we have to put them on video game restriction. So they're not allowed to play video games for 24 hours. We'd never say a week because they'd go insane and probably kill us in our sleep. But <laughs> what can I say? If a change in consciousness is possible... It doesn't seem possible that it can come from the phenomenal side. Suppose even it were possible to prove to the senses the existence of a deity. What would be the result? Suppose a deity could be demonstrated. It would mean that all that side of things, which the inner spirit of man must search after and seek to apprehend individually as self-revealed and self-realized truth, would become a matter of sensory and general evidence. As I've said, in a, I don't say it as well as he does, of course, but... I have a simple mind. So if I were to say, and I have said, if God stuck his head out of the clouds and said, I'm God and you're not, now do what I tell you, 
we would go, what was that? We wouldn't believe it. We would say it was an illusion, it was a holographic image that the Russians projected into the clouds to make us, you know, whatever, or the Chinese did. <laughs> we would just that we'd make up some fantastic story so that we wouldn't have to submit to the idea of obeying something higher than ourselves. Or submit to the idea that there could be anything higher than ourselves. Were a divinity to appear in the sky, oh, he says it right here, were a divinity to appear in the sky, the whole inner construction of man would be violated and rendered sterile. No, he wouldn't believe it. I don't think he would believe it. I think he would just brush it all off. Man would be coerced through his senses, but this is the truth. To be coerced through your senses is not the same thing as apprehending your own inner life, apprehending that there is something higher internally, learning that for yourself, discovering that for yourself, and becoming convinced of it yourself. To be coerced through the senses will not work. So man would be coerced through his senses in just what belongs to his highest and most individual issues. It would be against what you must do internally. The deepest theme in the drama of invisible and visible would be anticipated in the most wretched way, and our situation would be far more intolerable than it now is. From this angle, we can perhaps see why all arguments in favor of higher intelligence that reach out ultimately to external sensory proofs, as Paley's argument from design, the alleged existence of spirits, proof by external miracles and magic, when brought too close to us as evidence, profoundly repels us. If you were to go to Las Vegas and watch somebody make a rabbit appear out of a hat or an elephant disappear, you wouldn't believe more in miracles, you would believe less. That is actually what has happened. We think everything was a trick. Oh, we hear those stories. Oh, that couldn't be true. And even if it did, it was just a magician. He was just a trickster. He was just fooling people. That's how we think today, because we're materialists. Outer cannot coerce inner. Outer cannot coerce inner. Indeed, in all such matters, outer proof of the marvelous doesn't help us. The miracles of the modern world and physical science have not helped us to reach deeper values. Look at all the miracles of the modern world in physical science and how much has it helped us. Are we, as a race, really any better? Okay, we live longer. We have x-rays. What are the, all the imaging things that they... MRIs, CAT scans, we have all this stuff, but are we any better able to deal with one another? Now we have Prozac and Xanax and this and that, all these things to help us to deal with one another. And does it work? No, it just dumbs us down. Are we actually getting along any better in the world? How many wars are there going on right now? Now we have Afghanistan and we have Iraq is starting up again and we're deciding not to go there or not to do anything about that. We just have to let them sort it out themselves. Why didn't we let them sort it out themselves years ago before we sacrificed so many American lives and so many other lives and so much money just to say, well, let them sort it out themselves? Who's learning here? Are we learning anything from all of these marvelous scientific discoveries? No. Are we any different than we were? Yes, we can kill each other faster, better, and at longer distances now, and less personally, which I think is probably worse. If you had to shed blood with your own hand instead of pushing a button or giving an order 
my guess is you'd be less inclined to do it. Just pretty much the same way as if you had to kill your own cows and sheep and all these other things so that you could eat. My guess is you would have a whole different outlook instead of going to the grocery store and buying these packages of lamb or beef. You don't buy packages of animals. They're just a beef. That's what they call it, a beef. Cattlemen don't call them steers or cows. They call them beef. Look at all my beefs. I've got this beef, you know, and we're going to whatever. The beef goes to the market. An increase in the range of known or expected phenomena obviously does not awaken man's spirit. This is about awakening man's spirit, not discovering more and more and more outer things that deaden us spiritually. What would you say? In the last hundred years, is the world more or less spiritual? Yes, and of course, a lot of people would say, oh, more, because there are so many religions and so many of this and so many, but people are more confused. And are they actually more spiritual? Are they actually more moral? Are they actually more anything, more compassionate? Probably not. Life is sufficiently miraculous already. Only we don't notice it. <laughs> I was sitting out on the porch this morning or the other day, I don't remember when it was, this little hummingbird came and landed on the hummingbird feeder. Now, there are two hummingbird feeders out there, a new one, and they can land on it and just perch on it. The other one, I guess the whatever they landed on broke off, so they can't land on it anymore, so they have to hover while they drink out of it. So their wings are going, and you never, you know, they're just flitting back and forth like a helicopter, only on speed. But this little guy, he just landed there, he perched, and he just dipped his beak in there, that long beak, and just a tiny little guy. And I thought, oh my God, what a miracle. I just sat there for the longest time appreciating him, appreciating or her, and appreciating just the miracle of something so tiny, a tiny little heart, a tiny little brain, and tiny little lungs, and a tiny little tongue that's, you know, that long. And all of this, you know, I'm looking at all this just thinking how marvelous and how miraculous it is. Anyway, did I get that from science? No. I got that from sitting there watching a bird feed. If we catch a glimpse of its mystery, we border momentarily on new emotions and thoughts. But this comes from within as a momentary individual awakening of the spirit. And that's exactly what it was about the hummingbird. I just sat there thinking, God, you are so wonderful. And then I watched, oh, it was today, I was sitting out there, and a sparrow landed on the, we had this little thing out there, where we put the parrots, uh, when we clean out their bowls, they don't eat everything, we put it in this little thing, and the birds come and eat out of that. And this little sparrow was sitting there, and he's looking all around, his head's like on a swivel, blink, 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 blink. You know how they turn their head up to look up because they have eyes on either side of their head, they're not like us, they don't have eyes in the front, like predators, they have eyes on the side, like prey. So they have to tilt their head and look up, which I always think is really funny with a bird. You know, how they crank it one way or another to look up there. And he was sitting there, and I thought, look at that. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them falls to the ground without your father's will? I thought, I wonder what that means. That he wants them to fall to the ground? That he wants them to die? Or what does all that mean? And so it got me thinking in those kinds of terms. All the science in the world doesn't get me doing that. And so, momentarily, I was bordering on new emotions and thoughts. But it came from within, as a momentary individual awakening of the Spirit. Eckhart says that we are at fault as long as we see God in what is outside us. Well, 
I don't see God in what is outside us, but I see his footprints. I see his handiwork. It is not a matter of sense or of sensory evidence or of collective demonstration. He is not the prodigious and terrifying whirlwind, nor earthquake, nor fire. As long as we have this external view, a hindrance lies in ourselves, and we fail to understand something of tremendous importance. Why is this so? Apparently, we cannot begin from outer proof, from the phenomenal side. Through our senses, we cannot reach a necessary place of understanding. Though whether we know it or not, our sense-mindedness is always trying to do exactly that. We're always trying to prove the existence of God through the senses. Well, look at that wonderful sunset. You know that God must exist to create something so beautiful. Or look at that little hummingbird. You know that God must exist to create... But you see, I knew that God existed from an inner sense from when I was a child, and it has just grown deeper and deeper in my understanding as the years have gone by. So 60-some years have gone by, and I have gotten more familiar with that inner voice, with that inner presence. And now I look at a hummingbird, and it reminds me of that inner presence, because I know that the life in me is the same life that's in that bird, that we have something in common. Where creature stops, there God begins. All the liberating inner truth and vision that we need, apart from outer truth and facts about things, is, Eckhart says, native within us. And that's exactly what I'm saying. I discovered this as a child, native within me. It is an integral part of my being, and I happened to discover it when I was a child. It is an internal matter to be realized first as being in us. And after you realize it first as being in you, then you will realize God in creation, in his creation. But you must realize it first within you. If you try to work it backwards, from the outside in, it doesn't work. Yet it is far more difficult to understand what this means than we can imagine. For we're born and nurtured in sensation, and so cannot help thinking sensually. You don't know anything else, or very little else. This is how we were born. We were born into the world of the five senses, and we came to depend on those five senses. Sensation, the sensory, is our mother, and she's very difficult to overcome. Our incest with matter is universal. I love this. Our incest with matter is universal, and it so is. We are connected to matter, stuck in matter. We cannot get over that everything is matter. The most important and convincing evidence for us remains the outward evidence of the senses. We see our salvation lying in that kind of truth. And therefore, nowadays, in some great discovery, in some fresh facts, and so we're always waiting to see what science is going to discover next that's going to make our lives easier that's going to make us healthier, that's going to make us live longer, that's going to bring us closer to eternity, immortality. Let's face it, immortality is no longer something that religious people have to themselves. Now science is working on it. We're going to make you immortal. We're going to make it so that we can replace all your parts, and then you'll be able to live forever. We're going to make it so that we'll be able to place your brain in some robotic body that will live forever and your brain will be connected to it, and it will continue to move the robotic body around. And your brain, of course, being they, they call your mind. So, we cannot comprehend the psychological significance of such statements as, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for that which he sees? 
Paul said that in Romans chapter 8, verse 24. And Dr. Nichol quotes it because he's a brave man. To be in the fourth way and quote scripture, you had to be Gurdjieff himself in order to get away with it. And I'm not sure he got away with it all the time. I don't think he did it very often. But Dr. Nichol does it quite often. One point then about materialism as regards its limiting effect upon man would seem to lie in the attitude it takes towards the existence of higher degrees of reality. Man's reason is taken to be capable of attaining to a complete knowledge of the laws and of the nature of all things. We're going to figure it all out, aren't we? You're going to expand your brain, your reasoning ability. You're going to learn all the stuff that's out there that, that we have to learn yet. We're sending space probes out there. We're going to learn all about that. Now we're sending things down into the ocean. We're going to learn all about that. And once we've learned all of that, we will then move toward higher realities. That's what we think, anyhow. That we can obtain, we can get complete knowledge of the laws and the nature of all things. His consciousness, while it is capable of including more and more facts, is not regarded as capable of attaining a new quality. Only his reason can do that. We don't think that man's consciousness can grow. We think his reason can grow. We think his intellect can grow. We think that. But we don't think that man's consciousness can expand or grow or increase quality. Higher degrees of consciousness and higher degrees of truth and entirely new forms of experience are excluded to the materialist. We see then that such a view, certainly, does not include scale. Our scale is linear. It goes from left to right. It's on the timeline. We don't look up. I was noticing the other day, Buddy was out in the yard walking around, and I was up on the deck looking down on him, and he never looked up. Dogs don't look up. They always look down. They're always sniffing the ground or looking around them, but they don't look up. You know, their heads don't go well. They don't tilt back well. Their heads go down well toward the ground, but their heads don't go up well like ours. So they don't really look up much. So if you're above a dog, it's very rare that they will see you. Very rare. You make a noise or something, and then they may look up. But it's rare. They don't look up much. And so it is with higher degrees of consciousness, higher degrees of truth, and entirely new forms of experience. They're excluded on this linear, horizontal plane. There is no scale up and down when it comes to consciousness to the materialist. We see then that such a view certainly does not include scale. Scale must necessarily imply an above and a below, a higher and a lower. And as you know, politically, politically speaking, there is no higher and lower anymore. There's no higher and lower scale. We're not allowed to have that. Everybody has to be on the same plane. Everybody has to be equal. Equality is the main thing that we're looking for today. And if we have to chop down all the heads, we have to chop off all the heads of people who are a head taller, then it's a small price to pay to make everybody equal and to make everybody feel comfortable. Which is where we are today. You know, you look at schools and we have special schools for the gifted. And then there's the schools for the rest of us. So we have gotten to the point where the gifted have to be in their own school so they don't make the rest of us feel bad. And then they have special needs. That doesn't make the rest of us feel bad. So they have, there's a lower and a higher, but we're not allowed to mix. It's no different than the, what are they called, taboos of mixing the races back in the day, 100 years ago or 200 years ago. There were all these taboos about mixing the races. Now we have taboos about mixing the special needs and the gifted. 
We're no different. We just changed the words a little bit. But people haven't figured that out yet, and they may not ever figure that out. I don't know, but that's not my concern. We see then that such a view certainly does not include scale. Scale must necessarily imply an above and a below, higher and lower, and also a special way of connecting things on different levels of reality. Materialism, having no sense of scale, cannot therefore admit either that which is greater than man or that which is greater in man. Materialist cannot admit there is anything greater than man. You must be able to see that. But is the sole mode of experiencing or understanding life by way of the method of science? Is that the only way that we can discover life? Is through science? Through investigating everything through the senses? Is that the only way open to us? Is not science merely one mode of experience? And are we to believe that the quality of our ordinary consciousness is so fine that further states of consciousness are inconceivable? That our ordinary state of consciousness is so wonderful that further states of consciousness are inconceivable? Are we really to believe that? Are not further states of consciousness most likely to be the key to the understanding of the complexities and contradictions that have arisen in the realm of physics? If you'd asked Einstein that, he would say yes. Heartily, he would say yes. But ask some of our current scientists, and they would say, no, that's hogwash. That's just not possible. That's insane. Whatever. The synthetic power belonging to our ordinary consciousness may well be of such a kind that it's unable to assimilate into a whole the various separate findings of scientific research. It's possible that without some higher form of consciousness, we're not going to be able to see the whole in the various separate findings of scientific research. If we argue in this way, it would mean that scientific materialism is limiting to the psychological development of man simply because it takes the consciousness of man for granted and therefore does not concern itself with problems as to how man can reach a higher state of development in himself. Who cares if man can reach a higher state of development in himself? Who cares as long as we have neater, faster computers and better phones and better this and better that? Who cares? As long as we can build better houses, as long as we have better jobs with fewer hours and more pay, as long as we can live longer to enjoy all of the things that science is going to give to us, all of the miracles, all of the blessings that it's going to bestow on us, then who cares about man getting anywhere inside of himself? <sighs> By what methods, by what kind of knowledge, work, ideas, efforts, and attitudes are we ever going to reach higher states of development inside ourselves. With all this latter, we see at once that what is usually called religion has always, on its inner side, concerned itself. Religion's always been interested in this. This is why science is so down on religion today. So very down on religion. The so-called gap between science and religion seems to lie exactly at this point. Man cannot understand more because he is in a state of inner disorganization. Now that's our perspective or his perspective, or the perspective we are trying to break into, if we can break out of our materialism, and break into this understanding that if we could organize our thoughts and our feelings better, then perhaps we could understand better all this scientific stuff in our world. And this is what religion has always said. The quality of his consciousness is too separative and coarse. So right now, the quality of our consciousness is simply too separative and coarse. We don't have a fine consciousness. We have a very separate 
consciousness. We don't think, we well, we think, we may think we're all one, but we are not conscious of that, or else we could not treat each other the way we treat each other. We could not war the way we war. We could not harm the way we harm. We could not steal and lie the way we steal and lie. Yet he starts out in his investigations of the universe without any idea that he will be unable to penetrate beyond a certain point because he himself is an unsuitable instrument for this purpose. So the materialist looks at it all like, well, I'll, I'll figure it all out. Why? Well, because I can reason and because I'm the highest there is. And if I can't figure it out, who can? If my kind can't figure it out, whether the cow's going to figure it out, the elephant's going to figure it out, or the chimpanzee's going to figure it out? No, it's left to man to figure it all out. It's all up to us. We are the highest, the best, the smartest. So it's up to us. But we don't think that maybe we have an unsuitable instrument. <laughs> he thinks only that he is limited by a lack of scientific instruments, of sufficient precision, or by a lack of data. He thinks, therefore, outwards and strives only to overcome the outward difficulties. He's not looking inside to find the answers. He's always turned outward, the sense man, the carnal man. All that ancient religion and philosophy concerned itself with, and all that great art has reached after, will seem to him to have no possible connection with the difficulties he experiences in attaining final knowledge and ultimate truth. The finer qualities of consciousness and the new meaning and interpretations that art and religion have sought to reach will not seem to be of any importance to him, nor will he suspect that the inevitable contradictions that he's bound to find awaiting him at the end of his investigations result from the quality of his own consciousness and his own inner disorganization. And here you have it. I mean, this is the state of affairs with us. We are stuck in this world, in a place where the last place we look is in ourselves, where the solutions to the problems out there. We know that if we could give the kids better drugs, that they would not be so hyperactive in school. We know that if we could keep the mothers from doing bad drugs, that the kids wouldn't be born addicted. We think if we can just change all of these outer things, everything will be just fine. It never has been and it never will be. There will just be more problems and more problems because of our inner disorganization. But we don't think about that. The world is turned outwardly. And a good example of that is, look at what hard times religion has fallen on in America. Prayer is taken out of schools. You're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed to talk about that. All religions are now okay except Christianity. You can be a Muslim. You can be... You can be almost anything but a Christian. Christians have fallen on hard times in our country. And the reason they have is because it's the reason they have. For Plato, the world is not only our sensation of it, as it must be if man is merely in the world. The world is also in man, so man can know from within as well as from without. The ideas behind all discernible reality are touched by man through the existence in him of innate notions. I love that because you, each of you, have had some inner experience that confirmed to you and left you with a sense of hope that there was something higher, something better. Or else you could not be here and you couldn't be studying this. So there's something that was inside of you, innate, in your very being. And it's in everyone. Some people ignore it for longer than others. Some people find it when they're children and then lose it, and then don't find it again until they're older. Some people find it when they're children and then keep it their whole lives. And some people don't find it until very late in life. And some people, unfortunately, I think, never find it. 
These innate notions in the soul of man have as their true object the ideas, which are the archetypes behind all temporal manifestation. I love this because he uses Jung's theory of the archetype, because he studied with Carl Jung, and he got a great deal from him. Jung wanted Dr. Nichol to take over for him. He wanted him to carry on his work. Dr. Nichol chose to do this work instead. So while our knowledge is developed by worldly experience, it contains elements which are not derived from experience. Your knowledge contains elements that are not derived from experience. Our knowledge is developed by worldly experience, and though it is, it still contains elements which are not derived from experience. In its contact with the sensible world, which contains imperfect representations of the eternal ideas, the soul is awakened in greater or less degree to an awareness of the ideas themselves. There's an idea of some higher being. It's an archetypal idea we'll call God. There's an idea, and it's universal, it's innate in people, that there is this higher being called God. And those are eternal ideas. The soul is awakened to greater or less degree to an awareness of the ideas themselves through those innate urgings, longings, yearnings. This awareness comes not from the side of the senses, but internally from the side of the mind. The soul recollects the ideas through perceiving the manifold objects of nature into which the ideas are reflected. And that, will we now go back to the hummingbird, the idea that such a delicate, fine thing could exist and just come out of what? Pond scum? I don't think so. The soul stands between the sensible world and the world of ideas. And as I've told you many times, the soul is pivotal in its action. It can look out at the world through the five senses or it can look inside at the ideas inside. Between two orders of reality and becoming aware of this, she takes from the world of sensible objects all those impressions which remind her of a higher order of reality, like the sparrow that reminded me of a higher order of reality. Not giving to sensible nature that which does not belong to it, but extracting from it that which belongs to an order above it. So her whole mode of experiencing temporal life and gaining impressions becomes quite different from the mode of experience belonging to the soul that is glued to the senses and sees all as outside her, attributing the first causal principle to physical nature itself. For the awakened soul, all is really within. The real world is within and is only apprehensible within. And a man whose soul has reached this position is no longer natural or sensual man. Although all that sense reveals to him is immeasurably intensified, he sees clearly with increasing clearness because he has become a meeting point of two worlds like Jacob's Ladder who was on the earth and then stretched into heaven, and the angels were ascending and descending on it. And the angels are ideas. One reached within and through himself. And remember, Jacob dreamed that. It wasn't something that came to him from outer experience. It was something that was revealed to him by his soul in a dream. And the other reached without and through the, his senses. So there's this world out here that you can experience, and then this other world an awakened soul can experience internally. And so we have, basically, what Dr. Nichol has to say about that. And we're going to stop here and pick up next time with the next exciting episode. <laughs> I'm excited. I mean, I can say, Jess was like nodding over there, so he was taking Curtis's place. But 
he's probably had a very long, hard day. But the thing is, is I'm excited by this, very excited by this. In fact, I probably won't get to sleep for a while tonight because I'm so excited by this. And I keep on thinking about this and thinking, why couldn't I be as smart as this guy? And then I think, well, I know why. Because there's already a guy who's that smart. And maybe there's something else I can do. I don't know if I'll discover it before I die, but maybe there's something else I can do. And he doesn't need to be duplicated or replicated. Maybe there's something else that each one of us has to give. Something special, something unique, something individual. And so rather than long after other people and what they do, it might be better to just look inside of yourself and find out what it is that you do well. Your gift. And fan that coal to a flame. Next week. Truth is everything.